the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Guerrilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is your host Paul Spain. Now, first up, uh, an apology. This uh, this episode has been uh, has been delayed in getting online, so we've had a bit of a bit of a gap with uh, episodes being online. Uh, but this fills in uh, one of those uh, one of those gaps, and it's uh, look a fascinating discussion that I had some weeks back with Robert Collins. Most of the interview that was not uh, time specific, but there is one reference uh, to the Boeing seven three seven Max, and of course, there's actually been some news on that uh, unfortunately uh, with a crash since our uh, since our discussion we really encourage uh, all of our listeners to please go on to nztechpodcast.com slash survey we are looking to relaunch the New Zealand Tech Podcast mid-year with some changes a bit of a spruce up a bit of investment into the show so that we can commit to doing it on a uh, on a regular basis and an improved show over what you listen to today so uh, it's your feedback that will help make that happen so please jump on nztechpodcast.com slash survey either now or after the episode and feed that back to us and of course we have some uh, some uh, gifts to uh, to thank some of those who fill out the survey all right that's uh, that's me let's jump straight in today talking with robert collins how are you robert i'm good thanks paul what is it that you've been doing in those uh, in those years since we last uh, we last talked? So I joined HP and I worked on OpenStack for a number of years. Um, I started the OpenStack on Open. Well, I, was, I was part of a collection of people that started the OpenStack on OpenStack project. I led that for a while. Uh, that's now the Red Hat installer for OpenStack. In fact, yeah, okay, that's where it's ended up. Triple yep. O. Yep, and. I, um, well, I left there eventually and went to VMware. And at VMware, I worked on bringing up SaaS. So it's you know, a huge organization with a, a very long on-premise kind of understanding. And um, software as a service is still, um, I wouldn't say it's new to the organization now. They've been through a transformation. The transformation is ongoing, though. Um, Organizations that ship on-prem software need to solve different problems than organizations that are shipping software as a service, and VMware are doing both. Yeah, okay, yeah. One area that you being involved in in the world of of software means that agile, which is a a term we hear a lot when it comes to, uh, certainly when it comes to software, but it's becoming a more mainstream term. That's a world you've had a fair bit of involvement in, so it'll you know, be interesting to uh, to chat about your experiences in this this world of uh, uh, agile. You mentioned you'd heard the the discussion around uh, Spark taking their organisation, applying agile uh, methodologies to you know basically right right across the business, left to right, top to bottom, however you want to describe it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm watching Spark with great interest. Like if they can. I know they've done the transformation at a mechanical level, mm. but if they can keep executing and follow through all the way, that's going to be fantastic. Um, agile, so, so yeah. if we sort of roll back a, a, a step, sort of for you know, listeners will come with different you know knowledge. Some will have just heard the term. Some will will have been you know, um, you know, involved in, in agile development for a long time, and so there's you know there's, there might not be too much new, but. Um, for those that you know that don't have too much uh, knowledge of agile, um, maybe you can sort of run us through that. And and when you know when you you first uh, uh, experienced it in um, you know in your your work life. So a super quick primer. Um, so I mean, agile is this today. There's kind of two big breeds of agile. There's enterprise agile, which is often waterfall. And there is Agile Agile, which is all about being able to move really quickly and really responsively. So these Enterprise Agile grew out of Agile being successful and big organizations wanting to be able to be Agile. And then consultants came in and turned it into Waterfall. Or the big organizations didn't move. It's not entirely clear. Like You can't ascribe blame so easily. I... And how do you describe yeah. Waterfall for those who aren't, oh, uh, aren't developers? Yeah. So I ran into a white paper on this the other day. Yeah. Twitter is a wonderful source of, <laughs> of, of material. Yeah. 
the so waterfall is one of the development methodologies for software that's taught at university. It was taught at university when I went through it uh, as a way you could do, but perhaps not that good. And there was another one where they taught us kind of spiral. So you'd you'd find something out about what you want to do, then you'd do various things to it, including talking to the users, talking to the developers, building, testing, and then you'd go around this process again and again and again. And this white paper I found was someone tracked down the source of the term waterfall. And it turned out to be an anti-pattern paper where someone said, do not do these things, they don't work. (laughs) And then it got institutionalized and turned into syllabus that's taught as a way of building software. So if if you actually look at the practitioner's history, at no point was anyone saying this is the way we really should build software in an academic paper, and yet it ended up being taught for, I don't know, 20 years. So the idea of Agile is what practices can you use to build high-quality software that's fit for purpose in a short time frame while dealing with the realities of software, which is, you know, bugs and complexity and moving targets, moving requirements. Yeah. And the heart of Agile is kind of like, figuring out what works for your team and doing it. And the heart of Enterprise Agile is tracking a whole bunch of metrics. And these things are are kind of different. So I get the sense that Spark have found a pretty balanced place. And as I said, I'm tracking it really with great focus because I want to see what they can pull off. Um, There are organizations that have tried Agile and, and literally bounced away from it. And I think they were honestly doing this Enterprise Agile thing that I don't have a lot of time for. I, I first ran into Agile um, shortly after uni. The open source community I started to get involved with, it wasn't called Agile, but things were built in small bursts. You built something that fitted what you needed. You didn't build something you didn't need. Um, you brought along the idea of testing it when you built it so you knew it worked and kept working. And in the older open source community, unit tests didn't exist now these days you'd almost say that's malpractice to build software that's not properly tested of course but if you look at the early emacs or things like that they they worked but it wasn't because of a test suite there's a, a thing called lean which overlaps with agile and that comes it comes out of building cars of all things it's a fascinating topic on its own you could talk for hours about it so at Canonical, we went lean rather than agile. Right. Yeah, it's got its roots in uh, Japan, Toyota, yeah. and Yeah, and, the Toyota so production on, right? system. Was, uh, yeah, TPS yeah. is the thing. Yeah. And, and it is also about being able to build things and build them effectively and quickly. It takes a different slice on it. So where agile kind of says, look, you should worry about your people before you worry about process. The Toyota production system, which depends on people being very good and communicating well but it has some process that says like you know you can analyze a factory you can tell how long it's going to take something to go from one end to the other and whether it's going to get stuck in a queue somewhere this is this is purely process and when you look at things like code review in the open source community where patches in OpenStack for example I know of patches that have been open for multiple years they're not broken they've been updated by the people who put them up but they're not getting through that that process so yeah lean lean is lean is fascinating and lean and agile fit together very very well if you've got a organization that wants to be able to go from the beginning of ideation through to delivery in a short time frame lean's tools are the tools to use to analyze that and if you've got a organization that wants to have people being able to be productive every day and not getting you know hugely disruptive like plan for six months and give us the plan kind of mandates then agile is the thing to go to and you can bring both in it works very well mm, mm. so have you got any any thoughts on you know what what you expect to come out of um you know sparks sparks changes i because they're obviously a little, you know a little way into into it now yeah so i mean I hope to see them adapting rapidly to changes in the market and seeing 
you know, when new technologies and opportunities are coming out overseas, I'd like to see them coming in here much more quickly because if they are able to... The, the, the big thing about Agile isn't that you build the same thing faster. It's that you can change course more quickly. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, and I think the biggest challenge for Spark that I can see from my remote position is dealing with the big ticket things, the radio network. Uh, some of their backhaul infrastructure is going to be big ticket things that they have to plan out a decade. Uh, if we want to get another submarine cable for more bandwidth to the US or the rest of the world, that's not something you do in a three-month um, window or even a two-week sprint. That's something that, you know, how the how are they melding those together? That's what I want to know. Mm, it's like, mm. um, I can see, oh, our customers aren't happy. We can iterate on that. We can evolve very rapidly. Uh, and I, when I say unhappy, I mean, like, you might be looking at help desk calls or this part of our UI is confusing them and they're ringing up, so we want to fix the UI so they don't have to do that. Like, there's a huge amount of things that are software and are completely amenable to the rapid iteration approach. But how do you do that with the hardware? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it will be fascinating to see. I mean, certainly looking looking from uh, from the outside, um, and you know, I've had various chats with with you know uh, people you know across across um, you know Spark and, and 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 Telecom when it was Telecom, you know, of course over the over the years. Uh, but it, you know, it does seem they they've been doing some pretty smart stuff, and um, yeah, I haven't chatted with Simon Muta too too often, but the interactions that I've had with him have. Uh, you know, generally suggested reasonably positive things uh, to me. Com- you know, I guess you know compared with 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 other you know some of the other uh, leadership they've had, and of course you you know an organisation often needs you know different types of leadership at different times to uh, to deal deal with things. Um, but you know one one area where I th- I think they've been uh, they've been incredibly uh, successful is with their skinny brand now I don't know all the all the numbers and metrics behind that but uh, you know they've uh, they've they've certainly um, really wounded two degrees which you know from a broader sort of perspective um, you know leaves me not feeling so good because you know it seemed uh, very 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 good for our telecommunications industry the competition having, provokes a lot of benefits right yeah and and so we we've seen some really good you know good outcomes from a you know a perspective of I guess um, you know non-shareholders of, of telecommunications firms and uh, and 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 that's been very good and but it has been yeah it's been very interesting to um uh, to see the way that's played out and there's and of course there's lots of other things that uh, uh, that that spark have have done uh, as a as a business uh, that have, that have, that have gone well but yeah that that's one where um yeah I think you know they've been they've been incredibly uh, incredibly successful and uh, you know it, it you know suggests to me that they're uh, they, they're keeping a, a reasonably close watch on these things and a and are um, you know will, willing to uh, willing to make manoeuvres and, and invest accordingly. Uh, the other area that that I find absolutely fascinating uh, is their move into streaming content. And you know you've you've got this uh, no, you know big telecommunications yeah. firm that that's uh, doing something. There aren't. I mean. Uh, you know, I guess you look around. There, there have been, um, you know, a bunch of telcos uh, that have certainly got into uh, um, into content distribution and 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 so on. Uh, but the you know their their approach seems to be uh, he- heading in a in a good direction. Um, of course, I think in New Zealand here, where we've only had you know one t you know pay TV option, you know most most of the time uh, in Sky. You know, we've had that very uh, uh, limited uh, lim- limited options for uh, for consumers in terms of consuming content. You know, of course, uh, with the likes of of Netflix and and so on. Lightbox. Um, yeah, we've seen the competition, and then of course, you know, Spark coming in uh, with with Lightbox uh, as a as a you know, I think a, a reasonably capable uh, play. Uh, you know, a, along alongside you know the other options. Um, yeah, this this is yeah fascinating just just to watch. I'm you know I'm I'm glad it's not my money uh, in 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 this game because it's uh, you know it's a lot of investment for them to uh, to to play in that space, and it's re- I think it's really really hard to compete against big global brands that are 
that are so well known. And I mean, if you take it very simplistically, uh, and we look at look at uh, you know con- consumer brands. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, we can fix that in the edit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't don't usually bother, but uh, we we will see. Um, we've got to keep it real here, Robert. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, look at looking at consumer brands. Um, you know, if I asked you to name a cola brand in New Zealand, what's New Zealand's big cola brand? Coca Cola. Yeah. yeah, and 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 you know you've got Coke, you've got Pepsi, and yes, there are some you know some other brands that will you know come Pro- in now from time to time. Probably the biggest ones under that are going to be the home brands for foodstuffs. Yeah, probably in terms of sales, right? I mean, people yeah. won't recognise them as a brand. Yeah, but yep. but they're there. And then you've got some niche brands, you know, Karma Cola and so on. But that's that's kind of the 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 challenge for Spark to get into offering a streaming service, which they have done with uh, Lightbox and of course Sky have done it with with Neon. Is that you just always hearing about Netflix, uh, and and we you know we hear a, a little bit about Hulu and um, Amazon's Prime Video service, but there's uh, there's just this you know huge noise, and of course being that global brand that has chosen uh, to invest in their own content as well now for Netflix, uh, it makes them them pretty formidable to uh, to compete uh, a, yeah. against, right? So. so I think the the home brand stuff is interesting, right? That arguably is no different than any other unique studio. It's the connection to the brand that gives it leverage. And Netflix's big leverage is the choice it's got on other content. Like, I absolutely love some of the content Netflix is making. Mm. But Disney have recently disaggregated themselves. So they are saying, we'd rather be our own brand and get some money out of people. I think you talked about this on the podcast even just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, so it's going to be really interesting to see how that evolves. And I think the risk Spark's taking by diving into this isn't that they're taking on the big players. It's that that market is about to go through some tumultuous times. Surfing that is going to be really, it's going to be a trick. Mm. Well, uh, yeah, the, and and look, there, there's still a bunch there that I haven't uh, I haven't fully got my you know head around, and of course, you know, none of us really know where these markets and and you know where things will land exactly, you know, when we look five, ten, ten years out, for instance. You, so, YouTube Red, that's another big player. Yeah, people see it all the time. Mm, mm. How many people know YouTube? Like just more than Netflix, folk know YouTube. Yeah, just lever- leveraging their brand, right? Yeah. And um, and and you know, flicking those switches, and yes, yeah, so, uh, some of, some of those things you you wonder, well, why haven't they moved quicker? Why haven't they done you know things differently, and so on? But we we are where we are right now. I think the inevitable is there'll be lots of change. Smart for uh, Spark to be, you know, working to operate in a in a very agile manner, so that uh, you know, from from one degree, that they'll be able to uh, uh, be able to manoeuvre quickly when they when they need to be able to, right? Mm. Um, and look, I'm 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 excited to see what happens in the in the sport front. Yes, that's I'm not as uh, as committed to sport as a as a lot of Kiwis. Uh, but you know that uh, that is an era I have you know I have a have some interest in, and I'm but I'm particularly interested in you know how it will play out from that business perspective, and uh, you know what things will will look like as uh, as Spark work to take on uh, Sky in the in the area of uh, live sport and with them having you know Rugby World Cup uh, coming up, then um, we you know we will really get to see that uh, put put to the test. It relies very much on uh, you know, lot, lots of aspects, but you know, good infrastructure in New Zealand. It relies on people having um, a at least a basic level of knowledge around technology, which will be a challenge in in some homes. So uh, there's certainly been some varying debates there around. Well, will they cave and 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 give some of the content or? or you know, sell some of the content through Sky and give uh, give people access to it through uh, Sky. At some point uh, I, I in, in that thing. picture, um, will it go? For, you know, will it go free free to air? Uh, but I I'm um, I don't know. In some ways, I'm I'm keen for it to be uh, you know exclusively str- streaming and to encourage uh, you know people just to jump to that 
that next level if they're not geared up to be able to uh, consume streaming uh, streaming content. Although there's one piece that has been has been missing to a degree in that picture, in that we haven't had uh, too many gadgets that are just super easy, low cost to plug into a TV uh, for those that don't have a smart TV to be able to consume the content. Uh, so there, there's yeah there, there's that idea I, I in a lot know. of markets I'd where you can get a you know a set top box for fifty bucks and you plug it in and, got, and away you we've go. We've got those. We've got the Chromecast. We've got the Apple TV. Well, the app. Well, the app. The so, I mean, yeah, the two cr- very different cr- devices. Yeah. Right? So well, I'm. I guess I'm talking the simple set top box. The Roku product, for instance, stands out in in my mind. It's been you know picked up in other markets. So in the UK, you know, you, you want the Now TV product. Uh, you know, you go and buy those from a, a Curry's or a, you know a, a, a run-of-the-mill retailer, and you can plug that in, and away you go. You've got a box that's just going to give you give you that content without needing necessarily smartphone and anything else to run it. There's uh, you know, and, and I okay. guess that's the diff- that's the difference with Chromecast is it's just. It's um, it probably I mean it works well you know yeah, but, um, I mean, once you know let's it. Look at the, but the barrier to entry there, right? Mm. right? A twenty dollar lowest end of the low Android phone from Vodafone can drive that because the content's not going through your phone; it's mm. just asking the Android on that to, to do what it needs yeah. to do. Yeah, <coughs> and it and it works for a lot of people, but a lot of people don't um, you know don't necessarily have an Android phone either. Not that not that you're you're limited to driving it from from an Android phone, but. Um, you know, it, dep- it depends. Uh, you know what you're doing, the app you're using, and so on. Um, but I, yeah, I do like that simplicity. Now, I guess there there is one product that we have seen very recently, but I don't know whether this will support uh, the Lightbox uh, product and streaming, uh, which is the uh, the Freeview stick, mm-hmm. and that. Uh, is a, a nice mini set-top box, not really a box because it's absolutely tiny. Mm-hmm. Uh, it comes with its little little remote, and it has has one or one or two quirks. But uh, between the two new products, those Freeview products, because there's the one that's got the recorder in it and 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 so on, I found that to be less uh, less stable. In fact, I had to reboot it yesterday. Uh, to to use the Chromecast functionality, I was trying to stream something, and it would get to it get to eighteen percent, <coughs> and it would just freeze there and wouldn't go any further yep. i tried turning yep. it off turning Technology. it on couldn't yep. get it to work pulled the power plug did the dirty old pull out the power plugged it back in again tried uh streaming streaming to it it was a uh, a movie that had been bought through the google uh, play movie tv store and it started working fine after power outage haven't seen the same issue with the uh, uh, was less than half the price uh, little uh, freeview stick so um, I can yeah I can I can say that that's a generally uh, a good product and a good investment is probably the closest we've got to a kind of little New Zealand set top yeah. box that would work with uh, with with lots of stuff um, it probably just doesn't work with with quite enough stuff just yeah. yet I, look I, I think we're we're getting way stuck in the weeds here right the yeah. reality is, Cell phone penetration is up near 100%, not smartphone, but we are crazy high adopters. And smartphone adoption, particularly when you consider there are small $20 ones, is also way up there and climbing. Worrying about the ability for people to get onto that, if, if you've got $20, if you've got enough to buy one of these devices you're talking about, then you've got enough to go and do any of the technology Options. Well, so we have a segment of the market who don't who don't have an interest in technology. They might not use any sort of smartphone. They would rely on somebody else if they had a smartphone to set it up for sure. them. And, they and wouldn't have a Google Play account or in, any of these I, sorts of I, things. I'm so totally with you we've on got that. that. But, but what I'm saying is that from the ability to deliver enough technology into the home for Spark to take rugby and get it to them. That same audience previously had a Sky TV because that was the way they did it. They didn't care about the technology, but then they, they knew they needed to ring up, make a phone call, buy the thing, have a technician turn up and do it, Set and it then up. keep paying for it or cancel the account once a year and start it up again. Well, I know people get up crazy things, right? <laughs> All I'm saying is that we are well past the point of accessibility 
for the tech stack needed for Spark to deliver. Like, you know, a, a Skybox itself is a smartphone. It's just bigger and slower. So And less smart. Yeah. If, if Spark really want, said, look, we're just going to deliver this, all they have to do is have a product which is literally a smartphone that they sell to you branded for watching the rugby with an HDMI cable. And they can get every single household in the country, with the small exception of some farms that are actually genuinely out of range. We're in a good position in, in New Zealand now because we have great fibre infrastructure. Uh, we have, you know, for those that don't have fibre, there's a, a lot of VDSL. Uh, our mobile networks out in the in the boonies, as we used to call them, uh, and the you know further areas have got a, a, a reasonably good chance. And then we have satellite, you know, coming this year that will be fast and affordable for you know unlimited plans to pretty much reach the, you know everyone in the population. Yeah. So, um, so you know, mo- most no most of, most of the boxes yeah. are pretty ticked. So so the stuff well you're talking ticked. about, I I think that is just people who haven't actually looked at what they can do. Right, that's getting stuck. Sell people the thing that you need to deliver your content to them. Don't sell the content to the things people have got. Yeah, uh, just need to make it super super easy, and we can have the yeah every, everybody across the line. Yeah, all right. Well, um, anyway, but enough enough <laughs> <laughs> enough on uh, on, the sport. on 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 that one. Um, now, what else were we gonna we're gonna talk about? Um, I mean, what are your thoughts on on how Sky are doing? Are you a Sky subscriber yourself? We are a Sky subscriber, and in our household, Sky usage has plummeted. Like a year ago, year and a half ago. Our daughter had months of content recorded onto the Skybox that she could watch her favourite shows, every episode of them, the Doctor Who's that were coming out, everything. I don't think we've actually switched to the Skybox to watch any content in a couple of months now. So I think we, we must be at the point where we're about to pull the plug on that and go, we just don't need it anymore. And it's not that we've made a conscious effort to get away from it. It's just it's evolved. The... What do what do you can consume now? So, most of our media consumption is is my daughter's. She's seven, so she loves Netflix. She's got a huge range of kids shows that we can you know monitor to a degree, and unless we sit there and watch everyone with her all the time, which is perhaps what we should be doing as responsible parents, but I can tell you that's not. Not the reality. I, I think that's uh, that, that's fairly common. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, you do have the kids kind of profile thing there. You yeah, can no, set absolutely. Up, uh, we we use that. So but, on. but kids yeah. is a big range, right? Fifteen-year-olds yeah. are still kids yeah. by that kind yeah. of kind of thing. So um, certainly, it gets rid of you know gratuitous violence and stuff. But you get adult themes that sneak in and cartoons and so on. Every now and then, we have to sit down and help her understand what she just watched. Um, there's some YouTube kids stuff, um, which. It's got hugely commercial unboxing. Oh my! Unboxings are the worst show ever. You know what unboxings are? I, I've um, I've heard about this theme, and I've heard people pulling out of what well, just stopping YouTube because yeah. because of absolutely uh, yeah. yeah just the commercial nature and just you know well, it's ha- it's just the model it sets for for, for your kids right mm. your kids get used to the idea that this is what life is and you're like eh, honey no we're not going to the warehouse every day to buy a new toy to open that's not the way the world <laughs> works so we had to we had to have some serious discussions about that she's now got it she can watch that and not react to it because we've had that discussion off enough and it's, it's locked in um apple itunes so we've got an itunes account and we will get uh, you know we'll see something go past and we'll watch one episode and okay that's cool and then like a six months or a nine months or a year later we're like hey that thing's completely finished now and just go and get the whole season yeah. and then we can yeah. watch it when we want to completely under our control the biggest thing for us is is being able to watch it when we want to, mm. right? Cynthia's bedtime is a fixed point in time and space. That is happening at that time. And if it's a show that would be okay for her that's on at 7.30, we've got to time shift it or else, you know, school falls apart, everything goes bad. Yeah. If it's a show that we want to watch that's on at 7 when we need to be putting her down, we've got to time shift it. So if you can't time shift, you're in, you're in trouble. And I think that's the reason why Sky has just fallen off our radar, because 
keeping track of what's on when and the scheduling actually requires some significant effort. And, we, and we've kind of learned that you don't need to take that effort anymore, right? So you just yeah. you get it a year later, it turns up on a streaming service, and then you've got full full control. And Sky, they've been making some good efforts at doing a streaming service, but the usability and the convenience is not there. Uh, it's not like unless it's changed radically, it's not anywhere near the same degree as say iTunes or Netflix. Mm. And and you do have that challenge for uh, anyone launching these things. This is part of the challenge for, uh, for for Sky and what they do is our market is is finite, right? It's not it's not as big as most other most other uh, markets that pay TV providers and so on would 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 be involved in. Yeah. So if so, you're a licensor of content, then you're limited to this market. If you're a producer, you can sell it worldwide. Mm. And, but they're just getting their technology sort of stacked so it works, a good app that's, you know, its usability is great. Of course, Netflix can just keep throwing, you know, dollar after dollar or million after million at making mm-hmm. sure that they, they yep. that what they've got is absolute perfection. Mm-hmm. Now, the likes of Sky can can come in and they can try and emulate that. Uh, they Generally, can buy they can buy off the shelf, you know, bits and pieces that that deliver it. I'm pretty uh, sure that they and then TVNZ both have done that. Yeah, the prop there's but there've been problems with with that as you know someone you know the app gets launched and then um actually it doesn't really meet the requirements so you then you know basically flush the stack that you chose originally because times have changed it's not the best thing now so then you're starting again and yeah it's 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 not uh, it's not all a, a bed of roses put it that way. Certainly agree. I, I think that the underlying driver there is the whether you're a direct delivery or you're a, a, a reselling not the content but the delivery system so netflix build their own delivery system end to end they can optimize for experience they can optimize for uh, new platforms and as you say they amortize that worldwide but the worldwide thing isn't to me the big thing the big thing is that they fix it you get it hmm. whereas if and obviously I don't work for TVNZ, but if TVNZ have licensed one of these you know, DRM delivery systems and they've put a skin on top of it, if there is a problem there and coding's not where it needs to be, how much control do they have over it to fix it? And how much do they have to go, hi, vendor, can you please put this in your work queue? Go through their work queue, say that they're agile and they get that done really quickly for you. That's cool. Then it comes back to you as the intermediary and you have to go okay now that they've done their thing I can do my thing and now after that I can deliver it to our users you I think best guess best case you're going to be twice the time it takes Netflix to do it and the opportunity here is not about the delivery development cost but about the time to get it delivered because if you don't work on the newest iPhone say how many weeks can your product not work on the latest phone before you've got churn? Now, for Netflix, they're going to be fixing that launch day if they didn't even do it from engineering samples and get it fixed in advance. If you're consuming it from someone else, you're depending on them getting the engineering samples and getting on top of it. You don't have ownership. So I think you can make a profitable business selling media just within New Zealand, building the whole thing here. You'd have to be really lean in both time and money about it but when you layer your critical tech stack on top of someone else's product that becomes really really risky mm-hmm. well i hope it all it all pans out uh, pans out well and but i you know i think we're, we're we've got a fair bit of change ahead over you know over a no- number of years and then uh, we've got our uh, our telcos also uh, talking about uh, 10 uh, gigabit per second uh, fiber to the home and all the great stuff that that will enable and 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 look I, I you know I'm very pleased that we that we we're, we're getting these faster and faster speeds uh, but we don't know exactly what what you know that's going to deliver we certainly hear a bit about uh, you know the the virtual you know live virtual reality uh, stuff and uh, you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm very curious about what will what will use these next bits of bandwidth. That you know, at the at the moment, the the biggest chunks of bandwidth 
uh, or the you know the very large percentage of uh, of bandwidth is is going to uh, is going to video, uh, and yeah, so, it, so you know it seems natural to me that as we get into uh, more VR type experiences, then well, yep, that's going to draw uh, need more bandwidth, and uh, as we go into higher and higher uh, definition. That will that will need more bandwidth, um, but I'm not sure around what all the other things are that will um, that will really you know leverage uh, uh, the bandwidth. Um, there's a there's a few kind of big opportunities. Um, you've got the ability to deliver experiences you can't deliver today by doing processing in the cloud. So if you like going back to Spark and what they're building, right? If, if they build out a 5G network. That's a lot of investment, but it's also a lot of computation very near to people. Yes. So yes. a very high bandwidth connection with low latency lets you actually offload video and so on off your phone. So your phone could get a longer battery life and same thing. But then you get things like gamers who are going to be pushing the limits at any point in time. So they're not going to want to work in that model. They they physically won't be able to. I, I guess there's a level of game streaming yeah, t- so t- today. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. I... I, I Someone who goes out today and buys an RTX 20 series card and a 4K high definition, uh, sorry, high dynamic range, 144 hertz monitor is not going to fit on a 10 gigabit link. That they're, they're, they're already pushing a pipe that's much shorter and much wider at its limits. With, yeah, within within uh, what what's on their desk. Right. Yeah. So you you have to look at the markets that you're going to get into. So that. 10 gig link I think is going to be very rare for probably the next 5 or 10 years for consumers I think businesses can probably take advantage of it but only the ones that are really working with large data sets so um, sound, well, obviously media authoring is, is a, a big chunk of that but also engineering data sets, uh, geo data sets, they can get up quite a large size and you want to ship them around quickly um, one of the big things I found when I started working with large size networks in the cloud is that previously a problem where you had to work very very carefully at delta encoding and you know trying to send a small amount of stuff and processing it very intensely at either end to create those deltas and apply them you could just turn that around and say look we can ship it get it done and just use a fat pipe to do it really really quickly so it's transformative in how much effort you need to do to do things and that can drop your latency and it's always a trade-off. There will come a time when the data sets is too big, and you have to go back to deltas, and you know. Yeah. Oh well, lots of lots of change, lots of uh, lots of change ahead. Anyway, that's uh, that's for sure. Um, I'm trying to think what what other areas should we chat about before we finish up. Um, well, we could talk about the 5G who should own it thing we talked about. Oh earlier. yes, that, 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 that was right. Yep, and I also want to talk a little bit about um, your. Uh, you've got a Tesla and a Nissan Leaf, so a little bit about uh, um, electric, uh, electric vehicles. I'd be delighted to talk about electric. Electric is the, the future, it really is. So, um, so, yeah, so you've got these two vehicles. So when did you first get an electric vehicle? Um, so we got a Leaf either late 2014 or early 2015. And that was a UK import, and... Um, was that, a, was that hard to import, Actually, or did you use a dealer to import it? I think it? I've got the order of our purchase the wrong way around. Okay. Let me, let me start the story. So I, <laughs> I start over. I bought a Tesla from Australia. Yeah. They weren't here in the country. It was 2015, and I imported that. So you buy it new from Tesla, don't pay tax in Australia, import it here, pay GST, pay homologation, all of that. And that was a, a wonderful car. It still is a wonderful car. It's up here in Auckland getting repaired at the moment. And on the back of that, my wife's car, which is an RX-8, decided that it didn't want any compression on the second rotor. So we had to replace it. And she was like, you know, we're not buying a second Tesla. I'm afraid to drive that thing anyway. I don't want to scratch it. But I really like its behavior. Mm. And so then we went and found the Leaf as an option. And so we got the, the Leaf second. And so how does that work out for you in terms of um, charging infrastructure that you have to use in terms of you know doing the, the long road trip? So, you know, road trip between um, you know, Christchurch, Rangiora and, and Auckland. 
Um, yeah, how do, how do you how do you find that? How's that been working out? So I know, I know that there are people who do take a leaf on really long road trips, but it's it's quite a bit of coordination to make sure it works. The Tesla, you just hop in it and drive. The when I bought it, charging it didn't exist, or they were just early days, right? Yeah. Uh, I think October 2015 they put their first charger in, or maybe that's when they incorporated. I'm not sure of the exact mm. details. I ordered like three months before that. So I ordered with the longest range configuration you could buy at the time. The biggest battery, the right size tyres, the right uh, you know hubcaps on them for best airflow, and I didn't go for a performance model because the bigger battery, bigger motor at the back actually reduces range. Sure. Having two motors back and front increases range because you can get torque vectoring on corners. It's it's fascinating, like the, the trade-offs and the configurator let you just play around. So I played around until I found the best combo. Yeah, and cool. And we did that. It yeah. was so you could see exactly what your range was going to be and yeah. uh, and uh, official sort of range anyway. I guess the range varies according to you know what, what all, you all, <laughs> all sorts of factors from your 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 driving to yeah, the foot uh, is a big factor. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the foot and and the foot's really a big factor, not just because you burn power when you accelerate, but your wind resistance is the is the biggest thing. Mm, mm. So um, the leaf the leaf we have I think we've done one long road trip in and it was it was okay. But we just use that for round town. Like it's our everyday car. Um, if we're using two cars at the same time then obviously both of them are in use. We don't treat the Tesla as a sort of special you know a special event only vehicle. It is also an everyday car. Which certainly, uh, you know, some people do that buy a buy a car of that sort of price point. And yeah, you know, I remember a couple of friends that have you know bought Porsches or what whatever their the the premium vehicle is, and and then you know they they tell me, oh, I don't you know I don't like to take it out too much because it you know increases the mileage and it's this and that and so on. That's a really and, interesting uh, thing though, right? The yeah. mileage on an electric car. We've got a drivetrain where they're, they're aiming at a million miles to replace the drivetrain. They'll take a Porsche out and drive that for a million miles. I dare you. I double dare you. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. Yeah. So that was one of the things for me. It is an expensive car, but it's a car that I'm confident I can drive every day mm. for 10 years, and it won't be as new. Like Things do, do wear, mm. you know, hinges and so on, but it's not going to be anywhere near what you know a any combustion vehicle is going to be behaving. The motor's the copper is still going to be there in the same place it's still going to have the same torque yeah it's cool it's definitely cool tech uh there i mean yeah i i you know have a few concerns around the the level of technology that goes into some of the newer newer vehicles because the more tech you put into something the more that dates right and if something doesn't have any 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 technology and you know in terms of model t is still a model t yeah, it, it's 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 that will that will work well, you know, or will work on the same basis uh, for a long time. I don't know how well, you know, and and you know, we see this with software, right? Oh, that uh, you've got such and such. A, that's you know, that's no longer supported. You know, you can't connect that to uh, that phone to the network anymore because the technology's changed. And so, yeah, I'm I am curious to see how it plays out with you know highly uh, tech-enabled vehicles and, uh, you know, w- w- when at some point Tesla looks at it and says, well, there's only three of these left on the road now uh, in your country or, you know, whatever that, that you know, number is on a particular vehicle and they say, look, we can actually can't afford to keep supporting this and that that's the sort of story that we hear from technology companies about things, so yeah. I, I, I don't know if it will be if it will be quite that bad, but there, there, there's an aspect of it to, to bear in mind. Um, I think certainly it's a really, if you're it's spending a, real, a, a, it's a very real risk, yeah, right? Look a, at your phone. A, yeah, it's basically the same hardware. The display tablet in my Tesla is bigger, but that's the only <laughs> yeah. real difference. And you've got the same logistics, right? You need to be able to build an image, put it onto the vehicle, upgrade the image, and that's all engineering time. There are, I think. And we need to keep them secure, right? Well, Which is, is first we should get them secure, and then we can talk about keeping them secure. <laughs> yeah. The fair point. The the thing though is that the number of variables they've got are very small, right? They've got the the display panel, they've got the radio, the SIM interconnect, and they've got an embedded board. And they've done, I think, four revisions to that board now over ten years of operation, 
that's way less than Google have shipped phones. Way less than Samsung have shipped phones. So I think that speaks pretty well to the sustainability. Even though they're not shipping as many units, they're actually managing them much more directly than Samsung or Google do, right? You get an update, you get to choose if you apply it, you get to muck around with this. People do muck around with their Teslas, but people also treat them with a lot more respect, mm. right? You've got this thing, being able to install a new version of an OS on it isn't actually as interesting. There's like there's a geek part of me that was like, okay, if I had two, if you gave me one, I'd absolutely get into it and do that, <laughs> but not the one I've got, <laughs> not my one. Yeah, yeah. Have you uh, have you watched any of the Rich Rebuilds videos? Yeah, that's just an yep. in, in, interesting watch. All right, that's. Um, I mean, we could dive in more, but there there is the electric vehicle podcast where um, yeah, this stuff's talked about. Come and listen to that. Uh, it's a good podcast. Every, every every episode in much more detail. So I certainly don't want to um, um, you know be be taking the place of that show. So if you if you're well into your EVs, that's that's uh, that's the show to listen to. But it is an area of of um, you know huge huge interest. Um, and and you know I think it, it, it will continue to um, uh, be so until it just becomes the the norm for uh, for, for vehicles. Um, and then the um, the other uh, topic that we um, that we were going to talk about, which has now popped out of my mind again, uh, that when we five G five G. That's it. That's yeah. it. Yep. Um, yeah, you had some uh, you had some interesting thoughts here. That sort of a, uh, I guess to you could say they 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 align with uh, with the hopes and dreams of chorus more than they uh, <laughs> uh, more than they do with that of um, Spark, Vodafone, and um, well, two two degrees. I'm I'm actually not sure where they are at on uh, on five G at all uh, because of the current conundrum that. Uh, that they will be in around uh, Huawei as as the supplier of uh, uh, of infrastructure t- to them mm. for for their existing three G, four G. Oh, they still they got some two G. I can't run. I'm not sure they've got any. Uh, no, maybe that. I think they did have some. Maybe they had two, two, three, two, three, and four. My car G, goes uh, to GPRS sometimes. Net, networks. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> there's, there's, there you go. Every, so, everything's out there. Yeah. Um, so I mean, and and there's that interesting conundrum for them that they're very you know heavily tied in, and uh, uh, all the indications are at, at this stage uh, that they won't be able to um, work with Huawei in terms of rolling out a, a 5G network. Um, and and speaking to uh, Jason uh, Paris, who's the uh, the chief executive at, uh, at Vodafone New Zealand, they seem to be very much uh, into waiting until 2022 until sort of the spectrum uh, refresh happens. They've got some spectrum they could use for 5G right now for for a couple of years. Uh, they they don't seem uh, inclined to sort of use that. I guess they want to uh, they want to wait until everything's. Uh, uh, clear, and then they've you know they've they've got whatever they've got in terms of spectrum for the next period. Uh, Spark, of course, want to push ahead, but um, there there aren't clear indications whether they're going to be able to get the the spectrum to uh, to do that ahead of 2022. Even though they've uh, they've sort of set this clock and tried to set a time, uh, you know, fairly yeah. soon when they want to turn that on. So, so what what what's what's your thinking here? Well, I mean doesn't really make sense to me that we have multiple broadband networks but we have one fiber network we decided not to go and have multiple competing providers for that in the same way that we have one road network and one sewage network and one power network we have different roles within the delivery of that we have the you know the the creation the transmission and the delivery and the and then the reseller right we did a similar thing with ISPs, where we split it up into um, delivery, actual physical, get the data to you, and then service delivery, how much bandwidth do you want, where are you connected to, how much internet to the rest of the world is actually being purchased on your behalf. But we don't do that with cell phones. But a huge amount of our content is going to be done as cell phones as 5g rolls out as the increased capacity and services that we're talking about with 10g fiber we're going to be getting in that general direction just on 5g alone bandwidth is a limited resource like why are we saying that there can only be two or three service providers 
doing 5G in New Zealand at all. Why don't we do the same thing that we did with the ISPs and the telecommunications and split them horizontally? One wholesaler that gets the natural monopoly gets highly regulated, held to account for delivering a reliable service at at an economical price and has absolutely no leeway in that. And then on top of that, Vodafone, Spark, Two Degrees, AT&T, Optus, let everyone come in and play at that point. They can offer varied services. They can offer different um, in-the-node computation offers for you. Some of them will do games. Some of them will do better streaming. Some of them will go and buy uh, you know, nodes in from Netflix to, to deliver those things better. They can specialize and, and provide all of that competition without having this immutable natural fact that we have limited bandwidth and you know there's limited place to put the cell towers if everyone puts up their own cell tower and we have three sets of spectrum purchased we're going to have three times the number of cell towers and with 5g they're going to be you know more than twice as many they have to be closer to provide the latency people want to be able to provide Mm. that's an awful lot of little phallic things sticking up in our cities (laughs) for no particular reason other than that we've structured the business that way yeah i I, yeah i find this a fascinating uh viewpoint because i yeah i've had some discussions sort of on on both sides and i don't know we probably haven't delved into it too deeply uh on the podcast and so your thoughts have sort of got my mind ticking over and i'm thinking well you know how how is um you know getting a cell signal uh different to those other mechanisms because when i look around the world i'm not seeing a lot of countries but I, you know, I can't. I can't think of any that have gone for for that type of that type of there's, model. There's very few that have done right. our model for the infrastructure and ISP split as well. Yeah, but but, but I think ours really is, well. is lauded as a very good you know uh, approach and and uh, and so on. But as you say, we don't you know we don't do the same for electricity. We don't have uh, or for for um, you know th- th- those sorts of core infrastructure things. I guess that there 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 is a uh, there is a difference in terms of what it costs to put up a cell site because you're not having to run something into every premises and every home. Um, there is also the fact that we we are now seeing the sharing of cell towers, so that's not it's not as much of a challenge as it as it okay, once as it I'm once was. So uh, and that 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 certainly uh, that certainly happens. And we've also seen in the um, in rural areas where our telcos have, have have come together now in terms of sharing infrastructure. So there's there's probably there there's a there's a little bit of both there. Bit of a grey area, like um, and and but you know it's certainly not not done to that sort of black and white extent that that you've mentioned and I, you know I think Chorus would very much you know well, love it, it love to, to chorus, right? extend their that. business into that space. I guess they've got fibre and everything else, so they're putting up their hand saying saying you know <laughs> we 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 would we would do it. Um, I, I guess there's also the aspect from the government perspective of. Um, and you know, of course, there are ways. There are there are there are ways of addressing this in the in the in the in the business model. Uh, but you know, the government goes out and actually auctions it, and so you know, they get some sort of return but, uh, but for, for for the for the spectrum, right? No, I'm not saying that. That's uh, that's I a mean, that's a, that's a huge, huge part of the uh, the equation from a uh, from a, a government perspective. There's, I guess, also. It's it's from a redundancy perspective. It's actually you know nice. Some you know some families you'll have a phone on this network and a phone on that network, and you know if you do get caught somewhere with a breakdown and one doesn't have coverage, the other one might. But that's a, no, that's exactly <laughs> the point, right? If one has coverage and one doesn't, it's because we haven't consolidated that layer. If you consolidated that layer, you'd either have coverage or not. Talking about redundancy where you're sharing towers you're already out losing that redundancy you have to engineer that in at your infrastructure layer well it depends on the different backhauls and, and things like that you might still have some redundancy from what you know one, right, so you one might, you might have an outage but that would then be a reseller has chosen this over that and you'd be able to have two sims on your phone you can have an eSIM on your phone that connects to the other telco, the other dominant player or one of the other dominant players, and then you get that variation in the. But if it's actually in the in the network, like you know, some years ago, uh, you know, Spark Spark had some issues with their RANs, and yeah. uh, you know, boom, you were uh, you know you were st- you were stuck when they had those issues. So you potentially could have that sort of issue happening with the core. 
we can still have that provider. with monoculture of all the technologies Huawei, and there is a bug that rolls out, then it could take down Vodafone and Spark. Yeah, at the if same it gets time. very vanilla or everyone's running exactly the yeah. same stuff. So yeah. look, it's it's a, it's it's a hard discussion. Mm, but look mm. at the Gpon network, the fiber network. Yeah, that is a monoculture, and yet we're expecting it to be extremely reliable. It's been engineered. Yeah, and 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 uh, you know, and it generally is. It's generally this work, working out well. And and we have multiple. We don't have just chorus there. Like the the Gpon fiber network in Christchurch is not done by chorus. Uh, it's done by a Christchurch fiber company yeah, that's owned by the Christchurch Enable. Council. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you within Enables uh, area in uh, Rangiora, you'd be getting getting yeah, their yeah. service. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've got yeah. a gigabit connection with native IPv6 on the top of it. Fantastic. And no consumer devices is plugged straight into my home server. Yep. Um, Who's your uh, provider using Voyager. down there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 And I, I, I'm, you know. Do I get a full gigabit out to the states? No, yeah. but I'm very happy with what I've got. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So oh, it's a, no, it's a very interesting topic, and I just I thought it would would be good for us to uh, you know just have a have a chat about it. I know there are uh, people that are much more embedded in this and have got a much more to uh, you know to, to to win or lose depending on how it comes out. And uh, you know, I think it's it's just it's good to discuss these things and ex- expand our our own uh, our own thinking on it so uh, yeah, yeah that was good yeah. Yeah. I, I i agree and i think one thing i want to call out though is it doesn't have to be chorus right we could set up a new state-owned enterprise or a no, private enterprise don't give me st- and it too many state-owned to enterprises well that's a whole discussion on its own depending on how they do that you but know you do, could structure that, something the same stuff, way chorus is structured today mm, mm. as a, a parallel company mm. It could buy stuff off, like, where is your fiber connectivity coming from for Vodafone today? It's probably coming from Chorus, right? If you've got fiber being run through a city, how many times do you want to run it? How many conduits do you want to have? Yeah, I mean, there there is quite a bit of fiber across, you know, across our different, you know, entities. I know, you know, Spark own their own, you know, this is not, not, not directly to people's homes, but the the more underlying infrastructure that might get used for cell sites and so yeah. on, you know, Spark have some, you know, Vocus have have a lot and uh, you know certainly so to so to Vodafone so yeah. you know there is a level of diversity with uh, you know with that stuff and, which and is which is useful and and important in the same way it's important for us to have uh, you know multiple uh, you know fiber connections into New Zealand which you know now yeah. we have you know four different uh, you know cables of capacity connecting New Zealand to the outside world which from a general public's perspective you know they might not uh, have any awareness of, but it works out quite well for us with yeah, obviously the the dual uh, the Hawaii? dual that, no. So we got the Hawaii no, cable. Who, who was it that lost connectivity last week? Um, oh, not sure. The week before you yeah. had talked about it on the podcast. Oh, okay. I, 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 I can't remember. <laughs> too far I can't remember back that but far. The, the, it's, I think it's been at least southern, a minute. I think they're on the Southern Cross <laughs> cable with only one connection to it. Right, and yeah. they ended up switching to satellite as a as a stopgap. Oh, um, Tonga. Tonga, yes. Yes, that's, that's right. That's yeah. right. I was thinking of something that was impacting New Zealand. Yeah. yeah. No, not not directly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, that that was that was really interesting, and it, you know, it was good that they were able to get a, um, yeah, obviously, you know, something that um, that was able to carry them through until they yeah. could get back onto. Uh, on onto fiber, so certainly ha- you know having some diversity yeah. of connectivity that's, is is, that, that's is a valuable, reason, but it right? depends where you are to go to a non-chorus. Like you could do the thing, have it not be chorus. You'll get that redundancy. They could choose to use chorus. They could use choose to run their own. Mm. It, it, I I like I see the risks of having a single big entity. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to set that structure up for New Zealand. Well, it's been great to uh, great to hang out, Robert. Thank you for uh, for coming and and joining me in the NZ Tech Podcast Studio. Thank you for having me. This has uh, been fantastic. It's great, and I hope we will uh, we'll find time to uh, to do it again in in some format, maybe on a Tuesday in our, our normal show. But I'm I'm actually quite enjoying having uh, doing a few of these episodes that fit outside of our. Uh, our, our normal uh, news sort of format for the week and we get to delve in and, and have some broader discussions uh, definitely keen to hear from uh, listeners whether you think we should uh, uh, keep doing these and if you've got people that you suggest who uh, we should be interviewing and, and, and having some of these uh, discussion episodes with then certainly get in touch uh, you can reach me 
uh, via Twitter, of course, at Paul Spain or at NZ Tech Podcast, or you can ping me on uh, on email as well, uh, paul.spain at gorillahq.com. Uh, if people are interested in getting in touch with you, Robert, what's the, what's the best way? Is it Probably Twitter? Probably Twitter's the easiest, yeah. right? So that's just at RBT Collins, so R-B-T-C-O-L-L-I-N-S, and I'm happy to argue with you all day. Awesome. Love it, love it. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening in this week to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Of course, I am very much, uh, will be very much appreciative if you can go to nztechpodcast.com slash survey and feedback on the show, what you like, what you don't, what the length is that uh, would be optimum for you. And, of course, we can't please everyone there. Unfortunately, we've got uh, we've already got quite a mix uh, from some people very keen for, uh, for a short uh, sub-30-minute show, other people kind of quite keen on the uh, 30 to 45 um, and and the, you know even uh, uh, the uh, the longer than an hour, which you know I know some of our episodes have been in the past. But let us know what uh, what you think, and that will certainly uh, influence what uh, the reboot of the New Zealand Tech Podcast looks like uh, when we when we do that around the July uh, time frame. All right, thanks everyone. Catch you again next week, and look forward to your feedback at nztechpodcast.com/survey. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.